The San Antonio Public Library podcast team, Tuned In, presents eSports in San Antonio series. Hello, everyone. This is Edward to San Antonio Public Library Tuned In podcast team. Joining me today, we have eSports committee member Gina Garcia. Hi, everyone. We also have from Shenanigans, we have Philip. Tell us about yourself, Philip. Hey, everybody. I'm Philip. I'm owner here at Shenanigans Gaming. We are an esports venue with 24 gaming PCs, and we host tournaments and lots of tabletop gaming events as well. Thank you. We have Travis. Hi, my name's Travis. I'm the head esports coach with a San Antonio. We have Ansley. Hi, I'm Ansley. I'm the head of the Greater Gaming Society of San Antonio and also a mod for the San Antonio Smash community. We have Chris. What's going on, my gaming guys and girls? Chris with Texas Gaming Empire Esports Organization as well as manager at Play Live Nation Premium Gaming Lounge, PCs, consoles, uh, tabletop, card games, as well as throwing awesome birthday parties. And last but not least, we have Caitlin. Hi, I'm Caitlin, the head esports coach at St. Mary's University. Thank you all for joining us today. And today's topic, we're going to cover diversity in esports. We had a panelist discussion talking about diversity. So there's some key points we want to touch on and just bring that more to the forefront about how we're being more diverse, multicultural, and recruiting and how we have esports in our community. I think, Gina, will we have the first question? Yes. So let's go ahead and begin. Um, our first question is going to be, what is your organization doing to increase diversity? I'll kind of open it up here. Uh, so being a collegiate program, uh, obviously a lot of our recruitment comes from the community, uh, from the you know population we have on campus. Uh, for AM San Antonio specifically, being on the south side, um, being a, a uh, institution that serves you know historically underrepresented communities, um, a lot of the the people that I find who are interested in esports or that I'm recruiting from uh, are people who come from those communities. So uh, you know the question being, you know, what is our organization doing? Kind of. There's a lot of things, to be honest, um, going out into the communities, like going out to the high schools, going out to events that are on the south side um, and actually being there to, to talk to those individuals. Uh, a lot of the kids that grew up on the side of town, you know, uh, as we touched on in previous panels, um, you know, maybe esports is a foreign concept to them. Uh, maybe they're familiar with competitive gaming, uh, but not so much with the esports as we know it today. So just being there to, to explain to it, you know, explain to them what it is and how it ties into, you know, a pursuit of a higher, higher education. Yeah, I think it's important to reach out and go into your communities and be very welcoming. For Smash San Antonio, I know that in general for the Smash community, there was like a big uproar of pretty bad situations happening uh, in the Smash scene. But here in San Antonio, we're making sure we focus on a small scale on our community level to make sure that anyone who comes to the venues or to who wants to play Wi-Fi, they have like really fun, active people come join because generally everyone's pretty welcoming in the community, especially if someone is completely new, doesn't know anyone. There's a lot of people who will be like, hey, I'm here. I can play with you and they can just chat and become friends that way. If I can, um, oh, sorry. (laughs) Um, I was just going to say kind of similar to what everyone else has said um, so far. I think for us at St. Mary's, um, we're similar in that we are a varsity program or similar to Tammy said, but I think for us, one of the things that is 
worked is partnering with organizations on and off campus that are not necessarily gaming related. Um, so that means like partnering with administration or student orientation to, to hit on that like education piece because like Travis said, like there are, there are player gamers, players, whomever, students out there that, that know what competitive like video games are, but again, maybe are not quite sure or what have you with like the whole world that is esports as we know it um and so that's on campus and when it comes to like off campus i think one thing that makes um our community more diverse and the community overall more diverse is like partnering with with other esports orgs whether it be um Timusa or shenanigans gaming just making those connections and like building those bridges um to show like your community and the communities around that you know it's not just a you have to be a college student to be involved in esports. You have to be a college student if you want to be involved in collegiate esports. But if you know you're interested in esports overall, uh, having these relationships and connections can help us help uh, interested gamers and and whomever um, you know find their niche within the larger San Antonio space. Yeah, um, kind of to expand on what Caitlin said. Um, pretty much like at, at the venue, you know, we'll, we'll reach out with like um, uh, Big Brother type programs and give them discounts uh, for for bringing people in or like boys and girls clubs um and then also you know um one of our part-timers she's a girl scout so we let her set up a booth and do like the girl scout stuff um it's it's the thin mint plug for me so it's awesome <laughs> and then also on, on the tge side you know we've sponsored like a uh, women uh gaming events like 2k leagues and and different uh teams and stuff like that um so whatever we can do to try and give back to the community and uh make it more uh accessible to everybody we try and do yeah, I think on the venue side of things, I think it's mostly about accessibility. One, keeping things affordable for players that are looking to come in and participate in your events or just come in and get some gaming time in. Uh, we host free events. We host um, events that are fundraising events. We try to keep an open and accessible community as well. And I think that's the big push that we try to do just trying to keep everything accessible to anyone that's interested in esports and i like um what philip said about the accessibility part in esports and that like not everyone right off the bat can afford the high-end pc or high speed internet or you know even xbox you know the newest uh the newest iteration of xbox and playstation um and and i think like for us in my program we, we haven't figured out the solution we haven't figured out the the right way to do things yet but i think what is working one of the things that we're doing is um fundraising scholarships esports scholarships that are not just for the best players right not the top of the the ladder but fundraising money for scholarships for those who need it right those um who don't have access to high-speed internet or high-end pcs right um so it's almost like a need-based esports scholarship um though it's not quite called that but that's kind of the idea to help bridge that accessibility gap is that you know we have academic scholarships for those that exceed academically we have special interest um scholarships for those that are you know play the violin or what have you and so i think this is um part 
part of part of that part of bridging that gap. So that's one great way of targeting a, a, a very specific group. Um, can we expand on that with every with everyone, especially those that are venues? How are you guys targeting different groups of gamers to come and join your organizations? Because I'm sure it's different with a public venue versus uh, a university. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, different events will bring you different types of, of, of groups of communities and stuff. So, I mean, you've got your, your your, your smash community um which is very active there was basically a weekly at every venue from play live to shenanigans um so philip can attest to that um you know and different gaming communities will coordinate on different ways so like smash is mainly on on facebook there is like twitter and discord as well but you know you can find most of the events on on facebook uh whereas like the call of duty or 2k scene is mainly going to be twitter um you know so you really have to, to find those communities and grow them yourself too wherever they're not at um, like there's um, not too much Madden going on. I've been trying to work on that with FIFA as well. And uh, the fighting game community is a lot on Facebook. You can see a little bit of their Twitter. Um, so it's really about just uh, reaching out to those different communities on the platforms that they are on. And then also uh, growing and, and fostering those communities uh, in local areas where you're at and with the events that you're trying to do. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, it's all about getting to know your communities, who they are, where they come from, Lots of different communities come from different places. Um, from what I have noticed is the Smash community is a community that's very diverse, very young, though. Um, as new games come in and old Smash games phase out, a lot of the older people stay with the older games. Um, a lot of the younger generation that comes up with Nintendo, um, again, Nintendo just kind of uh, advertises to the younger core um, fan base so there are a lot of young people playing smash um when you compare the smash community to like the csgo community it's almost two completely different communities so it's definitely about getting to know your community where they're coming from what they expect from an organization a land center um all that kind of stuff diversity wise we we're in a very diverse city so we see a lot of hispanics come in um a lot of people from the black community as well um very diverse but it's just about getting to know your community and who they are um pinpointing certain groups is difficult like caitlin had previously explained and i'm hoping she's going to explain again but you can't just go in and say oh hey we're gonna host an all women's event um you can come and join it's an x amount of venue fee x amount price support it's really hard to just come out and support that kind of tournament without getting to know your community first just going to expand on that yeah like knowing your community like one of the things i mean i think for anyone who knows me like really really well that i'm really big on feedback forms and feedback loops and like throughout all of my time in like different esports roles one of the best tools that i've ever had was just a simple feedback form like tell me what you liked tell me what you didn't like and you know if you have suggestions give them to me and when you give the community like this outlet to be anonymous but to be honest you know you you be surprised with the kind of answers that you get because um, where someone might, you know, um, not like 
your formats, maybe they like you personally and they don't want to hurt your feelings as a tournament organizer, but give them that outlet to like expand on why they didn't like the format. And, you know, ultimately you can make that experience better for the community. And I think this, the same thing is true for um, women in gaming, women in esports initiatives. It's like you have to, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to run a tournament. Like you kind of have to do the outreach and do your research and figure out what, um, you know, what game, uh, who plays those games, how are you going to reach those women? And is this even something that they're interested in playing in? Yeah, I, I like what you said about how like having feedback is really important because I feel like since all of us have been to sort of events or have been a part of esports, it's good to know that not everything's going to be 100% the best tournament ever or there are things that you can work on so even knowing like what events to host or what the community would want is especially important to keep growing and even if there's like mistakes or maybe something wasn't handled that great you move on from it and I like the inclusivity of women's tournaments but I do understand that a lot of women also don't feel um, that they shouldn't be the focus because everyone wants to be on the same playing field we're all gamers we all play the same game there's it's the same concept as if you were going to call someone a lady doctor like they're just doctors right we're all just gamers so that's how I feel on it I like the aspect of women tournaments because okay cool they're casual they have a low bar maybe you're not going to be as intimidated and stuff and I think also inclusivity and, and diversity is very important to have trans people and LGBT and allies very welcome. I don't know if I can ever say that there should be a tournament exclusively for that group because then it's just kind of weird and you don't want to like say all that. Maybe some people aren't ready to express that. But on a personal level, that's when if you're especially a part of that community, I've seen people in LGBT very much step up and be that person and say, hey, I'm a part of this community. I see that you're also a part of this. Or if they see a trans person, they'll be very welcoming and accepting to them. So, And, and I, I agree with you there. Like I, like, I think for me, like the nuance is like, I think women's only tournaments or events, like, can help supplement the overall landscape like it's a it's a bonus right like it's an additional competition that we can play in right it's not like the only thing we can play in but like instead of the main tournament like there's also this other chance to compete or network or make friends and I think that's an overall benefit because you know even though we know there are what like 40 percent of gamers are women but like only seven or less percent are represented as professional players like it's it gives that opportunity to, I think, compete. Whereas maybe we have like the the stereotype that oh, it's just it's all guys because that's all we see, right? That's all we see on like the professional stage or like the professional teams. Like I think it helps to have those kind of supplemental um, events to break down those barriers. I did want to ask, as a professional, what are you guys doing to make it less intimidating? So it seems like hosting a game exclusively for a specific population can draw some sort of intimidation, uh, draw a lot of attention, and that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to promote inclusivity. And when you add the exclusive part of it, you're moving away from it. So I wouldn't want to say, like, continue expanding on it, but more on how are you addressing those challenges? How 
how are you removing those barriers so barriers so it's less intimidating for a someone with a huge age difference with a with your established community already visiting your establishment uh gender minority disability how do, how what are you doing to make them feel included i try to make it a point to actually go talk to the person if i see that they're new or if i you can kind of see when somebody's kind of you know being a little separate because they are nervous or scared or anything like that and you just try and make small conversation with them like hey is this your first event what do you think about it you know um how long have you been playing just a small talk to kind of break the ice and make them feel relaxed and make them feel included maybe introduce them to some other players as well um a lot of times there's friendly matchups that go on before actual tournaments and stuff uh so you know letting them get some live reps with somebody um but i mean i I feel like the the biggest way is just to treat them as equal and and invite them in and give them that that friendly uh personality i think you know 100 what chris just said and you know we just hosted our our first like smash tournament on campus this past weekend um so as for you know to to the first question i think a lot of it has to do with how you are advertising that event or you know how you frame it um the reality is right in the world of esports sometimes uh the tournament you know or the event you're hosting you want it to be exclusive you want it to be highly competitive right those are the people you're looking for um but sometimes like say for the smash tournament we just held we wanted to be completely open so making sure that you know no entrance fees um that we allowed for you know people not only on our campus but you know you could bring your friends and that was encouraged uh, that would be an example of you know an event where we want it to be as open as possible. Um, so for me, it's just making sure that you know we talk beforehand, like, hey, what is this event for? Is this a recruiting event where we want to be highly focused, or is this something for the, you know, our community in general, or is it just for our campus? So just kind of setting those, I guess, boundaries, expectations beforehand. That's something I definitely try and tell people when they come out to the events. Like, you want to come out to try and win, but at the same time, it's more than that. It's about meeting new people, growing those networks. Um, you play different people with different styles you kind of pick up on that uh you learn how to play against those styles you learn how to kind of utilize those styles in certain situations um so it's it's really about the networking and and community building um i mean yeah you want to win but there can only be one winner so it's more about you know getting out there gaining the knowledge because if you're gaining the knowledge you're always winning I think like, I, I really agree with like what you said earlier, Chris, about like at an event, if you see someone who's like being a wallflower, like came alone, like as a tournament organizer, like going over to them and asking them like, you know, hey, whatever, whatever, whatever about the game, you know, how do you find out about the event? Are you enjoy You know, just kind of getting them like warmed up and like talking to you so that they feel more comfortable. I feel like in the current world that we're in, like that's really, really hard to like bring those wallflowers into the larger community um, where it was kind of easier in person. Um, And I know for me within my own community, you know, it's hard to make everyone feel like they're included or that they're seen or what have you. Um, One of the things that we found success with is like our community game nights where they're open to everyone who is in our discord. You don't have to be a St. Mary's student. um, And we rotate the game that we play every week so if you don't play overwatch no problem next week we're probably playing a game that you do play um but yeah i I feel like being primarily online right now it does it it may allow for more people to slip through the cracks that otherwise wouldn't if we had more in-person events but i don't know maybe that'll change i'd like to add um so exactly what chris said is exactly 
what we do here. Um, all of our communities, our community leaders know that as well. So if I'm not available or if our tournament organizer is, is not available, a lot of the community does reach out, um, get those people that are, ju are just kind of chilling by themselves, get them involved. Um, and on top of that, uh, to add to what Travis said about accessibility, for each of our communities, we do have different types of tournaments. For Smash, for example, it's probably one of our biggest um, groups. We do weekly tournaments. We do monthly tournaments um, where it is more competitive and players do come from out of city. And we do have a totally free-to-join Smash League where we have team captains that are the top-tier echelon of the community. They're sharing their knowledge with their teams as they go through this uh, season um, and uh, totally free to join, um, free to play. It's all online right now. And I think that uh, is great for for accessibility for the uh, Smash community as well as other communities. I have a question. Caitlin mentioned something I want to touch base on, how she mentioned there's 40% of female gamers, however, only 7% are represented. What barriers do we to, to, to demolish to make it, to get that 7% up closer to the 40%? <laughs> I think the biggest one that comes to mind is just, and, and Caitlin did mention, right, specifically that, that representation where it's close to 50-50 for casual games or games in general. It changes vastly for when we talk about, say, in the context of esports or professional uh, gaming. Um, and that really comes down to just the, you know, the social or, or the stigmas, right, associated with being a, a woman and, and wanting to play games or wanting to, to even pursue esports on top of that. Um, so I think, you know, when we look at what we can do right now, you know, for me, right, in, in terms of recruiting, Right. I have two girls on my team going into this first year. The reality is that while it's great to have, you know, two women on my team, you know, they are kind of edge cases right now, give, you know, and, and how they how they got to this point. Right. You know, they love gaming and they kept at it or maybe they had a sibling that was supportive of them and helped get them to events and expose them to the competitive side. Um, but I think what's really going to have an impact and, and, you know, whether it be from a, from a venue side or from a collegiate side is focusing on the, the upcoming generations. Right. Because those are the, the you know if we look at like girls and boys in elementary school right those are the ones that still have that opportunity to put in you know they have you know 10 years ahead of them before they get to the university collegiate level right where they have that time to if they wanted to, to pursue gaming and then even the you know the higher levels of, of esports they have that time to still progress and develop and you develop to develop those skills before and, and I guess this is a separate topic but right when we look at women right now at the collegiate level who are interested in esports there's not much we can do you know they, there's like that one quote right the best time to plant a tree was like yesterday the next one is i don't remember the whole quote i should but i think you get what i'm saying so right, right, for me right. I, I find that it's our chance to have a, the best impact is to focus on those future generations you know really down the road because they have that time to still develop and, and progress okay I, I agree with travis like building that pipeline like building out that k-12 pipeline to college pipeline and like helping build those opportunities for i don't know the gamers of tomorrow <laughs> i think is really important and i think for right now while there isn't like a whole lot that we can do i think there still is something to be said for like the visibility and the representation part right whether that's highlighting the the women in our communities or the women on our teams um for those younger generations to know that you know that could be them right like in a couple of years or however long a decade that they could be on a college team playing whatever esport 
um, and winning scholarship money. And so I think me and Travis are in pretty similar boats and in, in my starting roster, I think we've got maybe maybe three over four different esports teams, three women being represented. There's there's not a whole lot more that we can do um, except to talk about to talk about it, to to highlight the issues. Um, and and I guess, you know, continue to have this these kind of difficult discussions because they can be kind of difficult discussions for some. Yeah, I think we're in a unique opportunity because like I've kind of been saying, we kind of need to embed in the younger generations this this culture of gaming be a, uh, being a quote unquote priority. I say it loosely because I mean, obviously, you know, school comes first. If you've got to work or whatever, as you get older, those priorities come first. But in the essence that we, what Philip can probably agree, like what an issue that you'll run into is you're trying to promote a tournament and you get a lot of maybes and people are like, well, I got to see what I'm doing that weekend versus like, you know, if you're trying to go to a concert, you're buying your ticket a couple of weeks in advance. Like you're ready, you know, like you're set on that. Like unless something serious comes up, like that's what you're going to do. You're going to go to that concert. So we kind of need to build that culture where it's like, oh man, I got this gaming tournament this weekend. You know, I got to make sure I'm free and clear that weekend. And so I think that kind of uh, rolls over to getting women involved as well. Um, You know, like Travis and Caitlin were both saying, um, you know, kind of building that culture at a younger age where they can uh, feel like they can play competitively and be a part of these teams and and competitive esports. And I also think another, uh, important thing would be highlighting uh, women who are currently breaking barriers because um, a lot of times kids when they see when they you know see somebody else doing it that's what they want to be and that's what they want to do like uh, even with like playing on PC uh, we get so many kids that come in and they they don't have PC at home but they're watching all their favorite streamers who are playing on PC so they come in they're like oh I want to play on mouse and keyboard the parents are like you don't know how to do that and they're like but so and so Tifu's ninja you know and so I mean you know being able to have those people to look up to it makes a big difference as well so we need to highlight and showcase uh successful competitive women esports gamers mm, yeah i wanted to say that like the representation is super important for everyone i feel like on many different levels race gender or sexuality even it's just like seeing that representation makes you be like oh i could definitely do that like for my background it's like if anyone is ever filipino in a movie or something i'm like i could have been an actress like look at them look at that like i feel like seeing women being on the top of leaderboards definitely gives people that feeling of i can also achieve that but the diversity especially for women i feel is more than just an esports issue it's just become so prevalent that we think of it as an esports issue it's really a cultural or like people kind of internalized i don't know if the right word is misogyny against women because i've seen it a lot where one of my favorite streamers is pokimane and she took like a month off of streaming because she was getting a lot of hate mostly because she was a woman and being successful which is weird so she uh said oh i finally got to like diamond tier and valorant or like if any woman says i finally did this for myself they have they don't have to improve that they can get there they can prove it if they want to but for a lot of women gamers i've seen it where they will say i finally did this solo queue on my own so you cannot say i was boosted by my team so it's such a very weird problem that's very awkward to address because it's like i don't want to say only women have these problems but it's so prevalent that the numbers are there that if the community is not supportive towards the women becoming a high-ranking player, then it will drive them away as well. 
I wanted to add to Ansley's thought, and it was what I was thinking the whole time, but I think it starts with game development. So back in my day, the competitive games were CSGO, Halo, um, a lot of first-person shooters that were all, the main characters were male. So come to today, you have lots of games like Overwatch, I would compare it to, where you have a lot of female lead characters, female characters that you can play as. Um, a lot of these characters also um, provide females with um, people to look up to, people to play as. So they want to play those games, and those end up being competitive games. Um, so that's a good bridge to bring in females into the gaming industry. I think that's a good uh, place to start. Um, and then from there, you'll have more women in esports competing. Um, either be like, let's say Overwatch is a gateway. You start playing Overwatch, then maybe your buddies move and play some Apex. You can jump into Apex. There are female characters in Apex that are pretty cool too. Uh, give them a shot and you end up being competitive. Um, but I think we're in a good spot with esports, um, at least with uh, female characters that are playable, competitive, and that could bring in uh, future female esports competitors. I like and, what and you the, said. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, even on top of that, right? You talk about um, you know the the female characters and that becoming more prevalent, right? Going back again, right, to when when the main games were like Halo and Counter Strike. Those are games that were at the time, right? I, I'd assume uh, the majority of the developers for those games were probably men, right? Uh, the majority of people playing those games are are men. Um, so those games are designed, you know, with a very specific audience in mind, focusing on very specific elements of, you know, gunplay, violence, stuff like that. I'm not saying girls can't enjoy that, absolutely, because plenty of girls who are very good at CS:GO. Um, but just looking at the actual, right, along with the character selection and choices, the actual development of those games, even in the planning phase of like, what do we want this game to be? What do we want this game to revolve around? Um, I think now going into the future, it's going to be really interesting as we see more women in STEM fields and more women in those development positions actually helping make those games. What esports, and I, obviously I'm focused on esports, but you know, we can look at gaming as a whole, but looking at what routes these games take in, in terms of you know, what is the game even based around? Maybe we'll have, maybe the next big successful esport won't even be, won't even involve shooting at all, right? There's already esports like those, but um, maybe not at the, the very you know top levels of popularity. So that could be the next one. I'm, I'm just kind of excited to see where that goes. One thing that, to... like, oh, go oh, ahead. Sorry. Uh, one thing that just occurred to me was like the monetary piece. Like, doesn't it make business sense to like build a product that caters to both men and women? Like, if you're only selling things to men, then aren't you missing out on like a whole like market segment <laughs> of of consumers? Like, that's just like my brain thinking about like the money part. Like isn't it overall beneficial to like create games that like have representation because if we know representation means um more people will play doesn't that mean more people will also buy your game i don't know like it feels to me it feels like if if i'm selling a product that exists in esports then i would want it to be something that both men and women and whomever to be able to buy that's very true, Caitlin. Um, and I wanted to add to what Phil had mentioned about the game development. 
you know, I never really thought about that. And I'm a gamer. And one of my favorite games of all time, well, newer game, right, is actually Gears of War. I love playing Gears of War. And if I'm not playing as Marcus, I'm playing as Queen Mira. But she's a villain. And for a long time, she was the only woman, lead woman in the game. So when I'm playing online against other people, you know, I would either play as her if I was a locust or I would be playing as Marcus. So I I really had no option. And I also didn't mind playing as Marcus, but, you know, having the option to play as a female character was for me really cool. Now the franchise has completely changed. So now you have a lead female character. So again, you know, it's, it's building on that inclusivity and including women and being diverse, at least on the online platform side of it. I want to touch base on that also, because I'm a diehard Call of Duty player. I started on PS3 with Modern Warfare and you see the evolution from Modern Warfare to now with Modern Warfare 2 with Warzone, there's almost as many female playable characters as there are for male playable characters and there's probably more female characters who people play than males and it's just a full circle how these developers have seen how we missed out on an entire market like Caitlin said we need to cater to this market and another point to that is I play multiplayer all the time and the one of the worst beatings it's like six of us we all play together we ever got was from a clan G-A-L-Z they beat us so bad like 10 games straight in team deathmatch and they were all girls had a website had everything and had a, it was awesome that these girls were just just demolished it just just ran right through us and us being men back in the day like wow this is impressive because this never happened we never thought that women actually played the game so it was very refreshing to see that it's being more recognized and more women are playing the game and that's just an amazing thing but i think do think another negative part maybe like uh ashlyn said uh, ashley said was the toxicity of the online chat or multiplayer chat because i know even for females even for people in general it's very bad so maybe we need to start cleaning that up in the trash talking then we get more people involved yeah i think it's uh good to point out or even recognize that a lot of the games are marketed mostly towards a man for a lot of the big triple a sort of things it's kind of interesting because even on the game development side of things, it is a male-dominated field. And I recognize that from being within the scene and going to game developer events or even groups. I believe they have been making really good strides, including women. And even sometimes in games, the writing for women doesn't sound like how a woman would act or like people recognize like, oh, well, cool, there's a girl in this game. But she's just there as the side character, and you don't really get to do a whole lot with them, or there's only one person. Or even sometimes when there's women represented in games, some people will say that they're overly sexualized, which is also a fair point, because sweet, we have the representation. Is it in the right direction? Almost. So it's kind of an overarching, how do we recognize that we need to make a change overall, or even having the outside perspective of bringing in women or different viewpoints on the development of games or how even the demographic will be. Because like Caitlin said, you should market for everyone. Unless, of course, if you do want to make a game, that's totally your own prerogative. If you're like, I just want to make a game about petting dogs, you can just target that because that's your game. But even uh, doing games, like on a game development side, if you do make a game that tries to capture too many audiences, 
instead of focusing on a niche, that's when it might not sell as well. Because sometimes targeting a specific audience and being the best at one thing is the better way to sell your game, basically. That's a great point. Another issue or another topic I would like to discuss is, Ansley, you had a great story about a gamer who was disabled and they're very competitive. Can you share that with our audience? Yeah. Um, so his name is Broly Legs, and he's mostly very well known as being a great Street Fighter a player. I knew him or I heard of him through the Smash community. And Broly Legs, he is one of the most famous disabled gamers. And I, I, forgive me if I say the thing wrong, but he was born with arthrogryposis multiplex congenita. So it's like his he doesn't play with his hands as so much as he plays with his mouth and he has a not a wheelchair but sort of a bed that he rolls on to go around tournaments and everything he's a really great player and he hasn't like let his abilities or disabilities stop him from being like a fantastic gamer i think it's really great to emphasize and show people that when people have disabilities, they can still play games. They can still work around things like that. And also, I believe that more developers are make, being more aware of disabilities and are making Microsoft's making these keyboards or mice or joysticks that will cater to people who may have disabilities. That's a great thing. We're moving to make advancements in those type of things. Yeah. I, I think I touched on colorblind mode last time, but then I also remembered other things and different modes as I played games from last time that I get really sick, like very motion sickness in games. So a lot of games are aware that uh, they need to compensate for that. So you can adjust the settings so the camera doesn't swivel as hard or you can adjust settings for like brightness because they are very aware that if there's flashes and shocks, it could trigger epileptic seizures and things like that. So game developers are getting very aware and very inclusive on making sure that the gamer is having the best experience possible. And I think that's super important. That's great. Do any of the lounges, do y'all have any special equipment for special needs players? Not currently, but we do have some of the Xbox controllers that we're looking at. Uh, we we are budgeted for next quarter to have two of them in our store. Um, other than that, we provide uh, ac wheelchair accessibility um, even for our VR setup um, where you can come in with your wheelchair and play VR sitting down, which is pretty cool. Um, we do have a lot of disabled veterans that come into the store uh, to to play games, to play card games. Um, we provide chairs for them. We have two, they can't fit in our gaming chairs, but we have additional chairs where they can fit in. Um, and yeah, I think that's what, that's everything that we have here at our shop. Yeah, we don't have any current uh, peripheral, but everybody's welcome to bring their own equipment um, if, if they have it. Um, also, uh, yeah, we definitely get a lot of, uh, like, especially special needs kids. Um, and then, you know, we also got uh, this one gentleman in particular who, who's in a wheelchair and he's he's actually done a couple of our overnighters. Um, so 
that was pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, we, we tend to, to help out with the special needs a lot. Uh, we have special discounts for, for uh, like homeschooling and stuff for them as well. Um, and we are looking to try and get some uh, equipment as well. Uh, but, you know, like, like Philip, we don't currently have it in stock, but we'll be getting some soon. I also wanted to touch on uh, there's a Twitch streamer that I really like. Her name is called or Sweet Anita. And she has Tourette's syndrome and she still streams and she still plays games. And it's very nice because her community is very welcoming for people with Tourette's. People really don't know a lot about that, uh, like Tourette's syndrome very much. So having the representation again also keeps people to feel more comfortable and even brings light to how like their day-to-day is or how it is when they play games. It's like can be as simple as, oh, well, they just kind of do that and they have push to talk generally. So it's not too much of a problem when you're speaking with them and things like that. And there's also another really great channel that I like on YouTube, which is uh, Healthy Gamer GG. It's mainly run by a guy called Dr. K. And I love what he does with mental health in the gaming community. He has these open sessions where he talks with people. They're like very open conversations with famous gamers, streamers, YouTubers, and bringing awareness to mental health and how important it is that we all talk about either problems going on or even the community that is gaming or his main thing before was gaming addiction. Having the conversation started is very, very important. And it's great to see the work he does. Wow, that's that's very impressive. I just noticed that your headphones light up. <laughs> it's distracting now. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's I don't know. <laughs> that's 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 wonderful, wonderful information, great information. Is there anything else you would like to add before we close? I just want to state that it seems that we need to start working on the, the next generation of gamers to make sure that they have an equal playing field, that we have women represented, LBGT represented, that we have no barriers for them to be a casual player or competitive player. Is that pretty much what we're hitting on right now? Yeah, and I I think the other thing too is like between now and whenever is to continue having these conversations and like the first step into fixing a problem is like recognizing that we have one. So the more that we recognize, you know, there's fixing that needs to be done, um, I think no matter what, like that's always the best place to start. It's, It's where we have to start. I agree 100%. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything in closing? Would y'all like to add anything else? Alrighty. This has been Edward with the TuneIn Podcast team. Thank you so much and can continue playing. Oh, I'm sorry. I have one more question for you. Since we're in San Antonio, what do you prefer, tacos or burritos? Tacos. What are burritos? What are burritos? (laughs) Philip, come on now. Who eats burritos in South Texas? Thank you. I'm a taco person too. Those are delicious. I don't I don't know of any burrito places that are like this is where you should get a burrito cuz all that I've ever seen it advertises Chipotle so I'm going to go with tacos. Thank you. I like Okay, that. so that's Gina for tacos. That's Philip for tacos. Mm-hmm. Anthony for tacos. Caitlin, Travis. I mean, if I want Chipotle, I'll get Chipotle, but I won't really I feel like it's it's not even a comparison. I think burritos to tacos in San Antonio have to go with tacos. Okay. And Travis, since you only been here since January. Uh, well, that was one of the first things they, they told me when I moved down here is the tacos 
are not what you thought they were. Because up until this point, I thought tacos were stuff from Taco Bell. Taco Bell. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know. It's going to get me. I'm in shock. Oh, my God. I know. Nation's number one. Oranges, Mex- man. Apples and oranges. Nation's number one uh, Mexican restaurant voted Taco Bell. Is that Bell. why like, we're always like, I only know of burritos from Chipotle? Is this how it feels? Like, <laughs> I, I, knew Taco Bell, I knew Taco Bell tacos weren't real tacos, but I never had real tacos so and I, now, now i'm confused about burritos because it seems like everyone here hates burritos so I, burritos, I, I like burritos i, I just I'm can't just find a place though. other than that one how, how do you feel about the accessibility to breakfast tacos <sighs> oh I, I love that well so like my question what, what's a burrito then like a burrito in my mind is, a, is that like a wrap like where you have so technically a burrito is anything that's put in a flour tortilla and a flour up. tortilla no and a taco is actually supposed to be something that you know you put food on a corn tortilla but because we're in texas a taco can be either flour or corn yeah. it doesn't matter and the burrito is more recognized with the with the yeah with the, ends and rolling mm-hmm. right up. that's what just, i think of just open what the fox um, news fact check gino on that one i don't know about that but one. mainly it's pretty much the same stuff but I guess I'll go with tacos. No peer pressure, man. Don't just be yourself. Be original. Based based on your definition, there's no difference between, well, right? A burrito and a... We said burrito is anything. There's still a big difference. Like, I don't don't know about y'all, but I always order tacos with corn tortilla unless it's bean and cheese that has to be on a flour tortilla. That's just me. I I just do flour all the way. I like like my chicken tacos with flour, but uh, the beef or... Actually, here at home, I make turkey tacos but I put the beef seasoning or whatever um, and then you know you get the corn tortillas but you put it in the grease to where you like kind of make them medium and those are the best I swear. Yeah. if y'all haven't had home cooked tacos y'all are missing out like that yeah. so what I'm hearing is next time we have like a live gathering Chris is going to bring <laughs> turkey beef seasoned tacos that's yes, what I'm hearing please. right now that please. sounds great thanks Chris I like that <laughs> I just remember I was so sad when I was living in South Florida and they had no breakfast tacos it was like man what do y'all got for breakfast bagels I mean, bagel, <laughs> bagel. <laughs> The cream cheese on it? Ew, like it's not, it's not breakfast. No. Is there anything else? Dunkin' Donuts? Um, mm, I'm, I'm already fat. I can't do that. Y'all so, are too yeah. crazy. Thank you again. Thank you for that enlightenment. I think this is the first time I've heard everyone go unanimous with tacos. First time. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Thank you again. Y'all have a wonderful day. And again, thank you for checking out San Antonio Public Library. Y'all have a great one. Appreciate y'all thank guys. Y'all have yeah. a good day, guys. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye bye. Hey, thanks for listening, and get connected on mysapple.org with Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Snapchat, Pinterest, Flickr, Instagram, and follow tuned in on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music.